You are listening to the Photobomb podcast with the world's greatest photographers, Boo Ray and Gary. Welcome to the Photobomb podcast. My name is Boo Ray Perry, and joining me as always is Gary Hughes. That's right. I'm here. Back with your favorite podcast and stuff. Would you like to start over? We can start over. <laughs> no, no. At this, this point, we just got to roll it. Been having so many technical <laughs> issues this morning trying to get stuff working. That uh, it's amazing how you can do the same podcast every week using the same equipment and have so many technical problems. Like having so, so much stuff to fine tune. So you know what? Let's just be real and roll with it. How was your week? We're being real. My week was good. Uh, my week was fine. I uh, we had um, we had some deaths this week. And uh, we're going to talk. There was photography death. We're going to talk about that during photography news. Yes. But there was another death this week that uh, that had a little impact on me that I wanted to mention, and that is Eddie Money died. I week. did not see that in the news, yes, man. Eddie Money died this week, and the reason Eddie Money had impact on me. First of all, quick quick dive into a little bit of the career of Eddie Money. Eddie Money was one of those few guys in rock and roll who had. Uh, a, a string of pretty pretty good hits, actually. But yeah. uh, rarely does this happen where your two biggest hits are the bookends of your career. Like, if I ask you, any Money song, can you sing an Eddie Money song, Gary? Take Me Home Tonight, Walk on Water, uh, Two Tickets to Paradise. There you go. Okay, there you go. Take Me Home Tonight was his last big hit in 1986. And... Two Tickets to Paradise was his first big hit in 1977. So there's my point, is the two songs he's known for the most are the first song he had that was a hit, Two Tickets to Paradise, and the last song that he had that was a hit, Take Me Home Tonight. And then he also had you know, four or five top 40 hits in the middle there, but it's those two bookends that everybody knows. You know, his, his first one was, and, then, and he had a career too. <laughs> he was in a Geico commercial. Yeah, Sing, singing yeah. two tickets to paradise, right? He was happier than Eddie Money working at a travel agency. Yeah, he had a uh, he had a reality show uh, that was on, still in production. Reality show on Access TV that now, of course, will be will be folding. And um, he was recently on the Kaminsky Method, which is uh, what's that? Michael Douglas's and Adam Arkin's playing himself. He was playing himself, but he was working in a casino under the name Freddie Money for tax purposes. <laughs> that was kind of funny and um but the reason that eddie i wanted to bring up eddie money is eddie money um and he had an album in 1982 called no control i graduated high school in 1982 now you i think are old enough that when you started driving it was cds right compact discs yeah in fact it was the transition i think we did the thing where you plugged your disc man into the tape deck in your car with a little okay. adapter so but yeah, you, but a lot of people still had tape players. So for me, it was a transition when I started driving from it. It, uh, it was at the very beginning eight tracks, eight, eight tracks, and then and then cassettes, and then it became cassettes. And so we are one of the last generations, you and I, to remember what it is to have your car, your freedom of your car, and only have like five albums in your car you could listen to. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You, you just yeah, have a few CDs or a few cassettes, or if you're old enough, a few eight tracks. And, the, and so you would listen to them over and over and over again. Nowadays, I guess, you know, my daughter, she'll be in her car. Well, she'll have a thousand songs on her, on her phone. She can just stream in. So this is something that a, a new generation doesn't experience what it is to truly beat an album to death, to truly listen to an album way right. too much. And for me, one of those albums, it was like five. And one of them was No Control by Eddie Money. This had uh, Shaken, 
and I Think I'm in Love, which were both big MTV hits for him. And literally burned through a cassette and bought another cassette of this album. You played it until it died. Yes, yes. I think I'm in love and uh, shaking, snapping of fingers, right? So my question for you is, and I can think of probably five, what were the, what were the albums or I guess, I guess CDs that you had in your car when you first started driving, like that first year, two years of freedom that you listened to nonstop, what were the CDs? It's not going to be what you think, I guarantee you that. I have no idea what it would be because it could be anything from you. Your, your taste in music are pretty eclectic. Yeah, as a commentary, it is interesting to think about just the having access through Spotify, Apple Music, and all these other services, Amazon Music, Premium, or whatever, and you can listen to any song you want on demand. I always have a problem picking what I want to listen to, so I always end up listening to like the same five albums anyway, because I'm just right. overwhelmed with choice. But my first album, my first CD I listened to when I got my first vehicle was one my dad gave me. It's not what you think. It was actually a CTA by Chicago. It's like Chicago's first record. Okay. That was yeah. the one. And I played, that's uh, 25 or 6 to 4, Saturday in the Park. You know, that, that whole record. Very strong. Very strong. Every that's single strong, song a, on that record yeah, is good. That's strong. Strong stuff. Chicago, fantastic. Then probably I would say, uh, because it was the 90s, uh, I, had, I definitely had on heavy rotation August and Everything After by the Counting Crows. Well, yes, yes. That I, was heavy rotation. Yes, I had that on heavy rotation in the 90s as well. That one, I had a 10-disc CD stacker in my 300ZX in the 90s. And, nice. the number, and the number one position pretty much stayed August and Everything After for about three years. Yeah, you look like the kind of guy who drives a Z car. Yeah, absolutely. T-tops. <laughs> That was my favorite car of all time. That 300 The white ZX. trash Corvette. I loved it. I loved it, yeah. <laughs> the white trash Corvette, all right. I, I, I disagree with that, but okay. The 300ZX is definitely the white trash Corvette. I, I, you know, I, you know, I would say the Corvette is the white trash Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, you're thinking Camaro is the white trash Corvette. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a little bit better, sure. Yeah, yeah. The, no, the 300ZX was a little too expensive to be the white trash Corvette. Sorry, uh, I would say the 300ZX would be like the, uh, the, white, trash, the white trash Porsche. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just saying, I'm just saying 300ZX is buying one new. You had a pretty good job if you were buying mm. one new. And in the 90s, they got real ugly, too. They got that really, like, round and curvy. They lost the kind of angular... Mine was the last... was, like, the year before the last year of the angular. Yeah, my dad had a 1990 300ZX, and that one was one of the last ones that was pointy, and it had the T-tops and everything. Right, I think mine was, like, an 89 or an 88, maybe. Yeah. So, anyway, so we've got got August and everything after. Yes. And we've got Chicago's first, uh, first CD. I must have had... I'm just thinking about what I was listening to at the time, CDs that were kicking around on the floor of my car. There was definitely, definitely some, I had some Dave Matthews in there for sure, because again, oh, the, the 90s. Matthews, Dave but Matthews. my I was I was anti-Dave Matthews for many, many years right. uh, leading up to when he was on college radio and was a big thing coming into the late 90s. And I had many, many friends that were like, you know, uh, totally basic, love Dave Matthews, because that was a cool thing to love. And then my friend Sean McGee, I remember this day, we sat in his driveway, because this is what we did when we were out and about as teenagers. We'd pull in and we'd just list, sit in the car and like listen to music, and you'd put on a CD for your friend, and they'd put on a CD for you. And he played Live at Luther College, which is a, a live acoustic album with Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds. And that changed me on Dave Matthews. That was, that's a killer, killer record. Okay. Totally, totally loved it. Um, gosh, I, I don't remember uh, specifically too many more. 
I had no control by Eddie Money. And we, me and my buddy Donnie, who is still my best friend to this day, we, we drove around and listened to that just incessantly. We listened to No Control. Uh, then let me see. I, I had some that were eight tracks and then rolled over into cassette uh, that I had to rebuy. I had uh, Zenyata Mendata by the police with uh, the do 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 da 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 da. Yeah, right. I had that one. I had uh, Paradise Theater by Sticks. Yeah, classic classic Sticks album, Paradise Theater. I had uh, um, Jay Giles Band uh, Centerfold. The album with Centerfold on it. I had I had one of the top ten biggest of all time, um, Back in Black by ACDC. Yeah, I think I think you have to have owned that album at some point. Yeah, I had Back in Black. So so I'm 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 not at all ashamed of like if you had to if you looked at the ten things I had say in my case when I first started driving, pretty solid pretty solid records. I had I had uh, a, a severely underrated. Uh, album by a man who you have only recently, I think, come to appreciate. I had One Trick Pony by Paul Simon. Paul Simon, I am more appreciating. Again, yes. mostly anti-Paul Simon. One Trick Pony is a soundtrack to a movie he made that wasn't successful. And that, you, you listen to it a while and it will grow on you to the point where it will become a part of your life forever. Paul Simon. And you just recently were like, how did I not know Paul Simon was so great? Yeah. <laughs> you texted me. Yeah. So I've got a, I've got two more that I thought of. Uh, one is tattooed on my arm. I have the uh, Rage Against the Machine self titled. That was definitely in my car. And okay. Metallica's Black album definitely had okay. that one in the car. Those are probably four or five that I had. Interesting mix of records there. But that it was the '90s, man. That's what we did. Yeah. Interestingly enough, fun fact: the Black album was the most expensive album ever made at the time it was recorded. It cost over a million dollars to produce. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Very cool stuff. So this week in fatherhood, by the way, now we've got three children. Yes. How am, are you? How are you uh, holding up? By the way, <laughs> because your friends are worried about you. Yeah. We are. We are all really worried about you. Just a little bit. Everything's fine. Uh, okay. What happens with the new baby? For those of you non-parents, is that I don't know that we have a lot of non-parents that listen, but non-parents. When new baby comes, you basically go into the bunker for a few weeks, you know, while, uh, you know, it's a doctor's visit like every six or seven days. And it's uh, lots of feeding and napping and just trying to keep everybody together. I'm basically doing a lot more with the older two kids while my wife is taking care of the, the littler one. And we're the sleeping has changed. <laughs> like mostly, I go to sleep at about eight thirty or nine o'clock while putting the two older ones to bed. I usually fall asleep at the same time. Then we get up at two in the morning, and everybody's up and down. We call it musical beds, picking one kid up and taking him here and getting him a glass of water and giving this one some milk and going around. So the sleep has become irregular. But we've moved into a phase now with my oldest Ellie, who has discovered this worldwide phenomenon on disney called the descendants and okay. i have a fundamental <laughs> and i she's been watching this for like a week solid she watches this every day they disney has these movies the descendants the descendants 2 and the descendants 3 they're like straight to video uh, straight to home whatever and they're basically the premise is that all of the disney characters princesses and villains all exist in the same universe and they all have kids and all their kids are the same age and in high school together, basically. And so you have like the children of the villains and the children of the heroes, and they're, and it's it's just a teen like a tween musical thing, and it's very colorful and it's very whatever. And my four year old is all about it for like a week, and then she 
I love this idea. This yeah. is a, this is a great idea. I don't know who pitched this idea, but that guy deserves a raise. I would watch this show in a heartbeat. No, well, it's it, it's very very popular, and she <laughs> she's discovering. She started watching the sequel because the third one literally just came out. So she started watching the sequel, Descendants 2, watch it over and over and over again. And I'm so tired of watching this movie while I'm watching her. And there's another one, the original Descendants. I said, honey, let's watch the first one just to, you know, shake things up a little bit. We can find out, like, who, uh, how this all started and get the or. And she's like, no, I want to watch Descendants 2. I was like, okay, um, you sure? Because like you don't even know how they got to this point, and it's the same characters and even more songs that you. No, nope, I want to watch the sense too. Okay, fine. So I go to the iPad, fired up to get it to the Chromecast, and I hit by accident. Truly by accident. Because I hit to play Descendants, the original one, and then the iPad dies, and so now I'm trust stuck in this Chromecast loop where I can't change anything because the movie started and have right. to plug the iPad in. Anyway, so it's just playing Descendants. One said, "Honey, I'm sorry, Dad screwed up. You're just gonna have to watch the first one." And so she just w- starts watching the first one. So I go into the bedroom, into the other room, and she's watching it. And she comes in, and she's like, "Dad, how are all these people together?" <laughs> <laughs> She gets the premise that it's not possible because you have like Princess Jasmine and Aladdin, which is like uh, the Middle Ages in in Saudi Arabia or whatever. And then you have like Belle, which is 15th century France and all their kids, even though Mulan, ancient China, they're all in the same high school. How, does that, how does that work out, Dad? And my four-year-old figured that out in five minutes. And now she's distressed <laughs> that this sentence makes no sense. I just picture her coming in with, like, a spreadsheet. Dad, look, I've done a spreadsheet here. And if you look if you look at the supposed birth dates of each of these children of the original <laughs> Disney princesses, it doesn't seem possible that they could have all possibly gone to the same secondary school. Correct. Uh, Correct. So, Father, if you could please explain to me in what space-time... <laughs> continuum this could have taken place i will be able to further enjoy this entertainment you have put on yeah. television she's, for that's, me. It basically was my morning was trying to hold my daughter together while she's well while, while the descendants is unraveling in front of her <laughs> marty mcfly cannot be playing johnny be good at that point because the actual song came out six months before the under the sea enchantment dance in back to the future that's what I'm dealing with. That's yeah. what I'm dealing with. Yeah. So That's there you great. go. <laughs> How are these people all together? You are messing up with my entire my entire universe, Dad, <laughs> by putting on this show. In my, you know, yeah, I can see how that could mess with a kid, really. I, I didn't do this. I did not do this thing. So uh, anyway, so shall we talk about some uh, photography news? Well, yeah, but first, a correction from last uh, week's episode. I was talking about the new flip screen that Do we need to rumored. do retractions? Was it retraction or correction? Because there's a jingle for that. Oh, there, oh, there is a stinger. I'm sorry. Uh, first, a uh, retraction. Retraction! Okay. Uh, I was referring to the X-Pro2 last week when, in fact, it was the X-Pro3. Thank okay. you. Good it. retraction. Yeah, yeah thanks it. for that. All right. yeah, yeah. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It is time for photography news. Photography, photography news. So I feel like those jingles came too close to each other. You know, like maybe they should be a little further apart. We could okay. Well, we could just. You know, I feel like maybe you know we need to keep that in mind for future shows. You don't want to over overdo right. the quality entertainment by hitting people with two jingles right in a row. Yeah, the you people know what I'm can't handle. Like you don't want to come out. You don't want to come out on stage and do your first two songs be your best song. If you're Eddie Money, you don't want to play two tickets exactly. to paradise and take me home tonight back to back. You got to book exactly. Them. 
Uh, which begs the question, which begs the question, I wonder, if you see Eddie Money in concert, which one of those songs is his encore? It's got to be Two Tickets to Paradise, If you see right? Eddie Money in concert, you're dead. Yes. Hey, I tell you what's bad, though, is if you go to his website, they haven't updated it at all. So his, his, website is, his website has a thing on there about how he's about to go into the hospital for some surgery. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so photography news. Um, first things first, I wanted to point out that I bought a new modifier and a reflector this week. Oh, yeah, you went, the, you went down the glow path, didn't you? Yeah, for the headshot kit. Well, you know, I, you know, I was trying that big uh, glow wing umbrella. And I, uh, I like it, and it does good light. I wanted something that was really quick and easy to use. And then I used it on the photo booth at a bar mitzvah, and it did such a great job that I've just decided that I'm going to move it to the photo booth kit. So now it's going to be the photo booth umbrella. And this is that sort of like uh, widescreen, no... 60 inches. Yeah, but it, yeah, it's a great looking umbrella, and it's, it's compact a, it's a, so you can get it close yeah. to the ceiling. A, imagine a 60 inch umbrella, but they've trimmed the top and the bottom so it's more rectangular. You know, like a like a parachute, like a modern parachute is. You know, it's right. kind of like shaped like that, and uh, so that's going there. So I want to replace that then for the headshot kit. And I, I, there are so few things that I'm willing to really do this, but for this I am, and that is if I need to do something for headshots. Just ask Gary what he does and just copy that. That's just what I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's so few things that I'm willing to really go down the rabbit hole. I, I want to go. I enjoy going down the rabbit hole. But when it comes to headshots, it's just easier just to ask Gary. And Gary will tell me what he does. Because he's already been down the rabbit hole. I, right? I, I'm, I'm still in the rabbit and hole. It's still, and it's still in the rabbit hole right now trying to dig his way out. So, uh, so I bought the same uh, modifier that you use, the uh, Octobox. The, uh, is it Glow Octobox? Yeah, it's the Glow Easy Lock. This is my new one. Right. That's right. my that's my new baby. I haven't quite uh, even road tested that fully yet, so that's getting right. road uh, tested. What? What? Well, I just bought it on your recommendation. Well, I used it at Adorama. I haven't out used it on the job. It's fantastic. It's compact. It sets up super okay. quickly, and uh, you know, I, I work with a lot of low ceilings. And one right. of the problems in, when I'm out at these offices, and one of the problems with using the parabolic umbrella is you can lose as you can lose a little a uh, little height. Because you put the back of the umbrella up to the ceiling with the light on right. the bottom, so it right. just it just depends. And what I wanted was also a box that could double as an edge light when I needed it to, um, rather than buying a strip box and just having a strip box. I you know just something a little more versatile. So right. So I went with that one, and then I bought. I I'm getting rid of my reflector, and because I went with the big glow arc light reflector for studio work right because uh, because you you got that and the price is great on that it's like a hundred bucks for that big arc light reflector uh used it the other day fantastic but uh, you I, I did not find it as easy to set up as no. you might have did no because it, getting it, those getting that last those last two pulling that thing tight and getting it that's not if you're not familiar not, with with the uh basically the glow arc light reflector is the westcott eyelighter I don't know if their patent ran out on it or if they're paying them a licensing fee or if it's just different enough, but it's basically the same thing. What has happened now is Adorama is making its own version of stuff. It's got its own lines. It's got Flashpoint for the Godox things. It basically rebrands Godox as Flashpoint, and it's got its own brand of modifiers and light stands and reflectors called Glow. And these are generally really good value for the money. They're very low priced. Uh, compared to similar things, and they are um, a lot easier. I, you know, I've 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 got a few of their products. I've got an eight by eight, eight foot by eight foot butterfly scrim. I've got various light stands and modifiers that I bought, and I've been pretty happy with everything that I've bought from them. And so, you know, I know that uh, 
probably if you get down to sort of build quality i don't know if they're not fair trade i don't care like they're <laughs> like this is going in my go bag and i'm going to be taking it out on a job and setting it up and breaking it down a hundred times and and then probably just chucking it in a dumpster when i'm done with it but this stuff seems to hold up pretty well so the arc light reflector which is the westcott eyeliner 2 essentially you can i think i got it with four different colors for the for for the for the material you can it's silver gold white maybe three different colors for the materials yeah three, I got, three. Uh, silver gold and white and i think it was like 149 bucks and they were doing a special on adorama like last week that i posted in my facebook group and it was like 199 dollars for a 38 inch glow easy lock softbox uh, for a Bowen's mount with a with the arc light reflector, and how do you for two hundred bucks? Yeah, and it and it looks yeah. fantastic. And I like the arc light reflector because it gives you that with the white cover, gives you just a subtle little touch that makes the eyes look really nice, but without like making it look crazy. Like if you use the silver one, so I highly recommend the white. But yeah, it's not the perfect thing for setting up and breaking down a ton on location. I have discovered that, and it takes up quite a lot of space. What I'm going to do is I'm going to keep mine in the studio. And then when I've got a big job, like I'm doing uh, school photos uh, for a school I did last year. I'm doing those, I think, next week. And I'll just take it completely. I won't even break it down. I'll just throw it in the back of the truck and right. take it. And then, you know, a job where you're going to take a couple of trips carrying stuff in. Sure. Why not? Go ahead and take that in and use it. And then the job where you want to go up, you got to go up six floors and shoot three people. No, I'll use the flex out reflector that I normally use. Uh, underneath the uh, people there yeah. but uh it's it does look nice in the studio it looks really good and <laughs> although i'm still for location i'm still using my trusty sweet light systems three by floor reflector kit which is you know and it's really just bare bones it's four metal rods that stick into a back plate and then you put the uh, you put the you know the material with grommets on the corners onto these poles and and then that's it and it's it fits on any light stand i've used it for five or six years i've had this thing and it's fantastic problem is it was like 400 bucks and they're very yeah. expensive though the that's why i don't use it that's why i, I just use a flex out reflector it's, on it's held up very very well for a very long time and been with me on many jobs and it packs up very very compact so i still love it i use it now glow is even making versions of those that you can right. buy that are like a hundred dollars and so yeah. what i'll do is in the episode description i've got an adorama affiliate link that if you buy anything from adorama using that link a little money will kick back to support the show and it won't cost you anything extra but i'll put links to the stuff that we're talking about in the episode description just so you can go look at it no don't worry about buying it just don't buy anything you weren't going to buy anyway but if you happen to use that link and buy something we might get like a nickel <laughs> to help to pay for the, the hosting of the show or whatever uh, yeah, yeah, you are a horrible salesman. Have you? Uh, I'm just trying to be real with people, man. Don't buy something you don't want or need, but check it out. This I'm really I, happy I, with I trust, all my I trust people. I trust people to be able to decide for themselves if they want to buy something. You know, if you want to buy something, buy something, and we and we'll and we'll get a couple of dollars, and Gary can buy a new board to replace the one that just fried this. Yeah, morning. it was. It really did. Uh, really did die on me. That's if if I yeah. sound a little bit different, I've had to switch to my old uh, blue snowball microphone. That we did when we first started the podcast because my uh, preamp died. Uh, this I did. Morning. I did. I haven't tried the uh, the modifier, but I did try the reflector uh, and tested that in the studio, and fantastic. And and I, like you said, I like that it brings those eyes up, but it doesn't look like there's a giant reflector in the eye. It just looks reflection. like people have really bright, colorful eyes. Yeah, it just looks like they have better eyes. Yeah. Ghoulish, so I did. Yeah. I, I like that quite a bit. Yeah. So in photography news, I want to talk about the uh, the big uh, white elephant in the room is this week. 
we had the new uh, iPhone announcement from Apple. Are you hip to yes. any any of that? Yeah, the iPhone, uh, it has uh, 14 cameras. Yeah, you know? exciting, huh? I don't know if you know, 14 different cameras. <laughs> Yeah, I think that this is sort of a, a stopgap year. You know, I'm, a, I'm an Apple user. I'm all in. You know, you know me. But there's some pretty compelling stuff uh, going on with this phone that uh, the technology is is pretty cool. The, 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 the Android people and the Samsung people always come out and they go, but we've had this for years. And look, it's fine. Like you use whatever you like. There's no big deal. But the coolest thing I thought was that the new, the iPhone 11, which is going to be the lower cost model toward uh, compared to the uh, the Pro and the Pro Max, which will be like the the, the with the three eyes of Cerebus or whatever. <laughs> like, right. Like, uh, and um, it's 600 bucks, $599, like, which is like, I think 50 bucks less than the previous cheap phone. And it's improved, and so and it and this one adds a bunch of battery life that should be really cool. So, um, you know, I think uh, I'm thinking I might upgrade not for my phone because I got an iPhone uh, 10 or X or whatever you want to call it that I'm happy with, but the studio phone which I have to carry with me is an iPhone 6 Plus, which is a monster in size by comparison. So now I have to carry two phones around like a drug dealer all the time. So let me go get a smaller, lighter phone, and uh, and and that's what I'll use. So because the cost is so low, I think that they, you know, they they're making a low cost version. So the the next version up starts at a thousand dollars. And we saw that right. a couple of years ago with Samsung and with Apple, uh, their phones are now without question just coming in at over a thousand dollars, and everybody's just accepting that. But I was in the store the other day, and if you aren't necessarily looking to spend a thousand dollars on a phone. My research uh, has shown that you get more money, more phone for your money with pretty much every LG phone than you do with Apple or Samsung. Like oh, sure. Like they yeah. are the third place in the market. So they are, let's pack as many features as we can into the phone. They make some great phone. And some of them, I went in to help my dad get a phone. I added a line onto my account for my dad. And they're like, they threw an, a phone at me. They're like, here. <laughs> like, <laughs> they gave it to me for free with, a, with an extra line for like 20 bucks. And they're like, here's a phone. And you know what? The free LG phone, smartphone that they give you, it was, it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. You, you, it's getting it's like cameras now you can't really have a bad phone yeah yeah so you know i'm not part of the phone wars i just thought in if in, in the conversation of the that's big news for photographers because now they have three cameras and uh-huh. what do you right. think of, I guess, what do you and think it's, of that? it's wide ultra wide mm-hmm. and telephoto mm-hmm. and I, which one of those is new the ultra wide is new oh the ultra wide is new mm-hmm. so now when you hold it up in front of you it actually takes a picture behind you yeah, <laughs> it actually it ta- was pretty wide it, to begin with. It actually takes a picture of your past. That's it's, yeah. it's pretty wild. It takes a picture of you five minutes ago. That's good. Yeah, yeah that would be that would be now. I would pay for that. Yeah, that'd be that'd be worth it. What's interesting is that now it also adds, which the Google Pixel phones have had for a little while, is the night shooting mode. Which Google, remember right. we talked about that on the show a couple months, a few months ago. And sure. now Apple has added their own version of it, which should enable it. it so it'll be some pretty cool features added. I don't think there's anything mind blowing, but at pet least portrait. Uh, what's that? Pet portrait. Pet mode. portrait mode. Yeah, <laughs> they've added they've added pet portrait mode too. Is that so? Right? All of the folks who have been so so upset that they couldn't take the fake blurry background picture of their pet, now they have pet portrait mode. I guess is that no? I mean, you could do that before. So. What, what does pet portrait mode do? You got me. It, yeah, this is the it, first time but, I'm hearing but, of it. But they have pet portrait mode. It smooths the fur. 
for you automatically, I guess. I but guess. now pet, pet portrait mode is one. They are really running out of new things to offer. <laughs> okay, I got this article from My Modern Met. Uh, iPhone 11 will have pet portrait mode for endless glamour shots of your furry friends. What does a glamour shot of a dog look like exactly? What, what is being done to that to glamorize it? I'm not sure. Uh, let's see. It's not exclusive, just humans. Uh, doesn't seem to have anything information on uh, what that is, but I, you know, couldn't tell you. So maybe it's better at recognizing the shapes of dogs and cats or something. You got me. I have no idea. There was a uh, there was another new camera that came out this week that uh, we we don't need to talk about it. The uh, the Fuji XA7, which is one of the you know the, every camera maker has like twenty cameras that are designed to fit in your pocket, and the Fuji XA7 replaces the XA5 or whatever. And so it's a small, pocketable camera uh, in a market that is probably going away. And one of the things I found interesting about this, though, and, I, and it's probably not the first time, probably just the first time I've noticed it, is that when you look at the camera, it has set, you know, it, it's all swipeable, all screen, no dials. And you can set, you can set it for taking action. You can set it for flash. And then you can also set the depth control. Hmm. Not the aperture. Not the aperture. They don't call it the aperture, and there's no numbers. It's just depth control. That's so you, you know, you're taking a picture of someone, and you can just use the slider to decide what your depth will be on that picture. But what it is is aperture. Right. That's interesting. Although, you know, for that, this obviously a camera not for pro photographers. Right. And uh, yeah, but I, the dumbing the dumbing down of photography though makes me wonder what that what does that bode for the future? We, we like to you. You meet the people who teach and, and who, who teach a lot are, are the old-timer uh, photographers, and they love to complain about how the newer photographers don't really learn the craft. And then you see this sort of stuff coming up, and you wonder if, if the old-timer photographers who now are upset at, at the younger people who aren't learning the craft, those younger people, they're going to be the experts. They're going to be old-timers compared to the next group that comes up where, the, where you're trying to teach somebody something, and they're going, Aperture? I don't know what, what, what's aperture. You mean depth control? You mean where you make the background blurry? Is that the next level? Will we have in 20 years from now, professional photographers will simply, will simply uh, discuss photography in terms of how the picture looks as opposed to the mechanics that produced that image? What's you know the difference? What Effectively, what's the difference? Effectively, there probably is no difference. It may be, is it just semantics? You know, will it be perfectly fine when we reach a point where photographers simply go, well, you know, I want the back, you know, I made the background more blurry on this, but, uh, you know, I think you should probably use a more blurry background as opposed to saying, I think you should use a more shallow depth of field or I think you should use a, you know, lower aperture. Isn't aperture in effect one of its functions is depth control? Yes, it is. The aperture is what makes it is what makes the background blurry. But there's more to it than that. Of course. And 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 here's the other thing that I find interesting, there's a pride with any skill, right? There's a pride that comes with understanding how the engine works, uh-huh. as opposed to just, just cursorily knowing maybe how the car runs. There's a pride with understanding what fuel injection is. <laughs> you know, etc. I don't you know, know what that guy, pride feels guy, like. <laughs> if you're a guy who's if you're a guy who's into cars, right? You know, what I mean, you've had a, you've had a conversation with your mechanic where he tosses off terms, and you're like, yeah, yeah, and in your head, you're like, I really don't know what that means. 
right? But he does, and when he talks to other people who know what that means, there's a comfort there, and there's a, it's a way to say, oh, we're in the same boat, you and I, we know this thing, we understand this thing, we're real. Right, that's and, called a photography convention. Yes, and, but that's eroding. Is my point? Will we reach a Will we reach a point? Will we reach a point where photography is no longer takes no longer takes pride in understanding the nuts and bolts, but simply takes pride in being able to recognize something that's beautiful? Because that's what we're headed towards. We're headed towards simply, I just move and swipe and do things until the picture looks the way I want it to look. And then other people go, oh, you're so good at, at uh, figuring out what looks good and making it look, look good. As opposed to, I understand how to set these things up to make... It's, it's about shooting with intent, Gary. As you, so, uh, as you so frequently like to talk about. Technology will make the thing easier over time, more accessible. But I think that... Pros at a pro level will still have to know stuff. They'll still have to know the mechanics of how it works. Yeah, but I think we're going to have that, you know, will the question is, will we have a generation that comes up that knows less and less and less yes, about, the, about understanding? I mean, the exposure triangle, we're getting to the point where they don't even call it that anymore. I want you to you get know, the exposure triangle tattooed on yourself somewhere. <laughs> like That way it'll always be with you. I tell you, I, when I finally, I was shooting professionally for at least a year or so before I even heard that term. But once I heard it and researched it and started to look at it, I realized how beautiful and simplistic go and back and go back. it was. Back up. Say that again. Yes, I was shooting for over a year without knowing, there without ever having heard the term exposure triangle. But I feel I am a better photographer because I understand what that means. The exposure triangle, I understand the triangle of these three legs of exposure that all work together to create your image and how you, if you change either, any one of those things, the other two have to change to compensate. Understanding that to me is a basic of photography. And I don't know that there aren't a generation of people coming up who don't understand that. They don't understand that, you know, when you raise one, you got to lower another, that all of these, these three things work together. I think you're getting caught in the trap of these kids these days in a, in a roundabout sort of way. Yes, these right. technologies are constantly being developed where AI and uh, and computers inside your cameras are making a lot of these decisions for you. But that's not new. But what it does is it gets people into the art of it. And as they get deeper into it, they will naturally develop a greater understanding, just like all of us do. There's stuff that I know that when I started shooting professionally, I had no idea what any of it was. And I'm a lot more informed on that stuff now. So yes, every generation coming up that's going to come into a profession like ours is going to know less than we know now. That's just about, but the difference is, I think that what is acceptable, people viewing it, viewing media and going, oh my God, this person's such a talented photographer, when in fact, they are a maybe an Instagram influencer who is really good at, you know, certain area, levels of composition and the things and their, and their uh, you know, their software, their phone or whatever is doing a lot of those, making a lot of those decisions for them, filters, giving them a certain look. Uh, and so what we do is all mixed up in entirely new areas of, of expression and of in the world, people are professional Instagram influencers, professional YouTubers, and they're like, "Oh, they make such great videos." And you got a video guy over here going, "Actually, no, that's that's a garbage video. You just like the content." <laughs> you know what I mean, right? But 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 I guess what I'm saying is, and I know it sounds like I'm going down the the kids these days uh, rabbit hole, but I'm not. What I find interesting, I'm is not. No, what I find, I'm hip. I swear it. 
I'm just posing the question: Will we will we eventually have professional photographers who, when they're take who, when they're describing their picture or they're or they're teaching how they take a picture, they'll be they'll just be looking at the screen and they'll say that. Yeah, so like so for so for this picture, like I like to make the background more blurry, so I slide this, and that is literally the extent of their understanding of what's going on. We they, have when that, that, when, when, when that now. Happens. We have that now. <laughs> That's not like, look at the future. Dun, 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 dun. The future is up upon us now. No, it's, that's now. That's literally where, where, right where, now. Where, where no, but not always because they don't get it in real time, for example. Now you still kind of have to know that, it, I, that I need to lower my aperture number portrait in mode. order to make the background no, more just blurry. just stick it in portrait mode. Like that's we, it's already there. You do it in real time with portrait mode on your phone. We absolutely are already there. Yes. Oh yeah, on your phone you do, but not on your camera. Not oh, you don't yet. think you still the cameras have to shoot are like it that and then already? Look at it. How many of these little prosumer and consumer cameras do you have? They are all like they're the reason. If you go to a consumer camera, if you want to put it into a mode with a higher shutter speed on a pro camera, it's a T or TS or S or shutter right. priority. On on the uh, on a consumer camera, it's a picture of a little man running. Yeah, it's a running man. Yeah. They don't understand that their shutter speed is going up and it's going to prioritize yes. that. A pro does. They understand that I'm the coming, running man I'm means... Coming, I'm coming for you, Killian. <laughs> <laughs> the running man. The running man. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the, uh, yeah. So I'm just saying, yeah. I, I, and I don't feel like it's really moved into the pro world as, so much, but I think it's getting there. I think that we're... And, and I'm guilty because I have said for years that... They make it so hard. Why? Why is it that the shutter speed goes up and your picture gets darker, and the ISO goes up and your picture gets lighter? Mm. <laughs> you know, it, could we could we just have some? Could we have it to where we, when a number increases, it has the same effect on your image? That would be great. But I think that we're finally starting to see a little bit of that happening, hmm. where they're just renaming things. And making it so that it's, oh, here's just three sliders. Move these three sliders. And if you move any one of these sliders up, your picture's going to get darker. And that's all you'll need to know. And you won't really understand that one's aperture and one's shutter speed and one's ISO. Yeah, well, I think we kind of have that now, especially with post-production filters. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. already there. We're yeah. already there. Like, I guess so. Sure. The people who want to know about things are going to know about things. And I think that the people who are really geeked out about knowing the mechanics of the thing that they do, and even, even at pro levels, that differs. You, know, you have great pro photographers that don't understand things as well or as much. But, you know, the, the people who are really into the tech and the kit and the mechanics of it and they understand everything, there are a lot of people who do that that aren't that great at actually making art and they resent the people who make great art without knowing all the things that they know. I see that a lot. I see that an awful, awful lot. But what you have to realize is that both sides of this coin are part of our profession. Photography is all mixed up in technical because it's all based in technology but it's also an art form and so you have people attracted to photography that are very much you know left brain analytical they love the kit they love the tech they love to understand all the minutiae of how everything works and then you have the people who just like to make beautiful things and they only learn enough that they need to know to be able to make the things the beautiful things that they want to make and they'll learn more technical stuff if it allows them to make more beautiful things but that's about it and I think that there's a, you know, those are sort of the two ends of the spectrum. And, and those groups are very often, you don't see a lot of those people like really close together, the artist types and then the, the craftsman types. But, yeah. but right. you know, I think that there's a balance. We need both of those things. In the way that, in the same way that I play guitar and I enjoy playing guitar, 
but I don't fit in with the people who really, really understand guitar. No, no, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and I, but I, and I know that, but I would never, ever deign to be one of them. Yeah. But I think we're going to see that the people who don't fit in with the people who really understand photography, they're going to uh, kill us and take our place in the world. Well, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hopefully we'll be dead by then anyway, but that's all yeah, right. Yeah. So we uh, got one more story that I wanted to cover to see. Uh, this is just a little touch point. Do you remember on Amazon Prime Day, the big goof up with everybody getting all of the equipment for super yeah, cheap and yeah. we talked about it? Well, uh, apparently uh, Amazon has, to a certain extent, it's happened again. Because what had happened was is they had listed all of these things, these some of the very expensive items that you're able to get like for, I think it was $94. And so there were some people that were getting a $13,000 lens for $94. And at Prime Day, that was a mistake on Amazon's part to how these things were listed. They honored and fulfilled those orders. As far as I could tell through doing some research online, all of those orders were fulfilled. Considering that they did a, a few billion dollars worth of sales yeah. on Prime Day, I don't think that they were too pissed about it. But no. so we had another a snafu along the same line. Uh, Amazon had listed a Sony lens that normally cost $550 for $250. Sounds like a typo. And so instead of honoring those orders this time, they they basically they canceled the orders, sent the people who, who ordered it an apology, and they gave them a $20 Amazon credit towards purchasing something else. That's what you have to do. It's I I, I don't. I, I, you're certainly not one of those people who's like, what? What? You listed it at this. You have to sell it at this. No, mistakes happen. Yeah, I'm not that guy. But, well, the, the, it's this article from Petapixel, the, um, the, the author of the article writes how it's ridiculous that they honored these outrageous deals on Prime Day and gave people $13,000 stuff for the $95 and that they wouldn't just let people have these orders because of their mistake. Me, you know, that's... Oh, see, now we're going down. A, see... Uh, <laughs> That that brings to mind a, 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 something I was thinking about this week with uh, with something unrelated to this story. But here's here's the basis of what you just said. Um, just because you got away with breaking the law once doesn't mean that everyone should be able to break the law all the time. Correct. And you and you see this all the time where you get pulled over for speeding and you say everyone was speeding or you know what? I've been driving this speed limit on this road for 20 years and there's never been a problem. How dare you give me a ticket? And none of that matters. It does not matter. It does not matter. That's not the way the law or the rules work. So, you know, the only thing that matters when you break a rule is did you know the rule? Were you told the rule? And uh, did you break it? And if the answer is yes, then you're paying the fine. <laughs> well, as a counterpoint, though, um, ignorance of the law isn't a defense. No, and that's not a defense either. And not knowing right? the rules doesn't mean that, you, because if I, well, I didn't know. I had somebody contact me and they booked a session through my new online booking system, which I'll talk about if you really want to. Don't get me started. Oh, um, God, no. That's another podcast. We, can do a whole I, show we don't have the time. Um, anyway, so, um, and, and, sh and this person had contact, booked a session, then contacted me when I, I, she got the invoice sent to her about what something had cost. And she goes, well, I was under the impression that it costs this. And so I immediately go onto my website, all my literature, all my emails, all the prices were listed correctly. She had just read it wrong. And, that, and she was then expecting me to give yes. her a discount because <laughs> she read it wrong. Yes. And I was like, nobody told you that. I didn't tell you that. You, there's, no, there's no piece of literature information out there in the entire universe that contradicts yes. this 
on what's on the invoice, but because you didn't pay attention to what you read and you thought you read something else, now I have to give it to you for this ridiculous price? No. No. But, no. but I did what Amazon did, and I said, hey, no, uh, all the prices are out there. I said, if you want to buy this thing, you can actually upgrade to that after the session. Let's not worry about it. Let's see how many of these images you want to use. And I said, and I'll make a nice price for you there. It won't be that cheap as, as you thought it was. I said, but I'll give you some kind of a discount, no problem. So I gave her something. Do you know what I mean? Like, it worked out fine, and she was gracious about that. But initially, I'm thinking, but people are like that, especially but, with... But still- but still, the the onus is not on you. The fact that you 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 gave her something, you no, she made a mistake. Let me tell you something. My wife, no, 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 because we've had this in the course of our beach wedding business happen from time to time, especially with the photography, where once in a blue moon, somebody will come back and go, "I didn't know I was going to have to buy the pictures afterwards," and Bobby will say, "Well, here's the email where I said it. Here's the price list I sent you, and here's the contract," and she does not budge because I, I didn't make a mistake here. I have a service. This is what I offer. You booked my service. I don't know what to tell you. You can't, you know, go into a, a store and get a pair of pants. And then when you get to the counter, go, oh, I'm sorry. I thought these were cheaper. Can you take some money off? No. I the can't. thing is, there are so many places and people that do that. Yes. That people yes, have come to Because they don't want the it. conflict and they don't want the bad review. Right. Anything but get, no, and, and, and you are powerless against that kind of feedback. Yes. TripAdvisor, yes. Yelp. Google reviews, you're completely powerless uh, against that, you know, and that's and and, that's- and and too many people now have got this outrage culture where they feel like if something's not going the way they, they want it to, someone else is supposed to fix that for them. And then and they're never willing to just say, you know what, I am responsible for this. Yeah. I am as I am as much responsible for this problem as anybody else is. And so I'm going to take responsibility. And like you're at Old Navy and some dirtbag took a pair of pants <laughs> and hung it up in the clearance section. That's a bright, right. you know, and you bring it up and they scan it. Okay, thirty nine ninety nine. Not that I, I don't think Old Navy has anything that's thirty nine ninety nine. I don't think I have anything that's that expensive. I think, oh, oh, this was on the ten dollar clearance rack. Um, well, that's not what the price tag says. You know, it's. I'm sorry that some dirtbag hung it there, but uh, you know, because you could literally just come up and go, this should be less expensive because of where it was hanging, and they have to give it to you. I don't think so. So no, I, I was a no. little, I was a little irritated by the sort of underpinning of outrage in this article that was like why did amazon just not honor this it's well you know what they they did something nice they contacted everybody they gave them something that they weren't entitled to in the first place and and they did they did a good job like i just don't and they didn't have to do any of that that's the see and that and that that's what you said i'm with you the underpinning of outrage that because I got away with this or someone got away with this before, I should be able to get away with it now. We should all be able to get away with it because you allowed it to happen at some point. And that's not the way it works. That is not the way it works. It, it, you, know, you don't get to get away with, you know, just because everybody is speeding doesn't mean that you, they, they have no right to pull you over for speeding. Yeah. <laughs> the Constitution <laughs> doesn't, doesn't say if everybody doesn't get caught, everybody gets away with it. That's not exactly. how it <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Okay, so the, the last story I have for photography news, yes. because this is timely, I want to get this in. There's two other deaths uh, this week in the world of photography. One, Charlie Cole. Uh, Charlie Cole was 64 years old, and Charlie Cole uh, won numerous awards for his photography. He was a fantastic photojournalist, but he is most well-known in that community because he is, his picture of Tank Man from Tiananmen Square uh, was the one that went around the world. So the famous picture of the man standing in front of the tanks at, how do you pronounce it, Tiananmen? Tiananmen. 
Tiamen. I don't think even if I said something, I don't think it would be even close to correct in yeah, Mandarin. Right. So just go so, with it. So uh so he won uh he won uh what was the award that he won for that? I I forget uh, the World Press Award or the, the nineteen ninety World Press Photo Award. World Press Photo winning image. Uh, and a very gracious man, he pointed out that there were other photographers who had shot the same image uh, from different angles that were just as good as him. And he also said that he just took the picture, that he, he, he very much wanted to move the credit away from him. He said, he said, the man in the picture, he was the picture, and I just took it. You know, he did, I don't think he, he liked that they, that they were heaping praise on him as the photographer when he felt that he didn't deserve that praise, which I find, I find very endearing. Uh, in the world of photography nowadays. And uh, the other giant who passed away was Robert Frank. And Robert Frank was 94 years old. And Robert Frank's most famous work was a book that came out in the 50s called The Americans. And in the world of photojournalism, The Americans is considered a watershed book. Uh, he traveled, he did 10,000 miles around the country and shot about 22,000 frames and put together this book of black and white images of Americans, mostly middle class and poor Americans. And at the time, photojournalism was more like if you were a photojournalist it was uh hey go down and take a picture of uh, fred astaire for this article in the paper and so you went down and you got some lights and you shot a picture of fred astaire and it went in the paper that was photojournalism you were taking pictures that accompanied stories right and then guys like robert frank came along and started to push this idea that candid photography that capturing a moment that having a mood that giving you a sense of being there was something worth having in the world and change the face of photojournalism to where now we have an entire uh, part of photography that has its own name, street, street photography. That's what it is. Street photography is just photojournalism. You go out and you take pictures of people and the idea is that when someone looks at a certain picture, they feel like they're there and they get a, they get a sense from it. They get a mood, they get an emotion from it. And it's not posed, it's not necessarily lit well. It might even be out of focus. But still, there's something about it in the way that sometimes there's a modern art piece that you're like, I can't explain it, but there's something about this that I love. And that's the way that modern street works. And Robert Frank had a lot to do with that. Robert Frank's and, uh, uh, The Americans is, is phenomenal. And fun fact, published in 1959, the uh, introduction to the book was written by Jack Kerouac. Yes. Isn't that cool? Another, yeah, Jack Kerouac. Uh, another fun fact about our buddy uh, Charlie Cole. I just was reading this article on BBC News about his death. And this is, pr this is pretty interesting. Um, it says, Cole knew he would be searched later by Chinese security after he took the picture in Tiananmen Square. So he hid un the undeveloped film roll in the bathroom. Shortly, shortly after he took it, officials broke through the door and searched the hotel room, but they did not find the film. That's right. pretty he wild. Had, and he was only 64 yeah. when he passed away. That's still a young yeah, he man. Was shooting, yeah, he was in his 30s when he took that picture. He was shooting for Newsweek. Yeah. One of the things I thought was interesting about, about reading this uh, this week, though, is it made me think about... Uh, when it comes to street, and this may be a bit of a deep dive, even uh, for you and for the podcast, <laughs> so I apologize. I'm so used to it. Just, just do. But when just it comes when it do. comes to street photography and photojournalism, right? I worry, uh, as we've seen with with Instagram and so forth, I worry that we are going to start to cross a threshold, like we have with modern art, where the fact that it's street or the fact that it's canon candid puts a pretentiousness onto the image so that, you know, when people celebrate modern art and they use all the flowery, crazy words, and then the, 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 the guy, the blue-collar worker, looks at it and goes, just looks like a bunch of paint on the canvas to me, Yeah, right? And you feel like modern art has moved to the point to where it's been taken over by the people who are 
wanting it to be something as opposed to people who recognize something that really is something, if this makes any sense to, to you, to what I'm saying. Yeah. Street photography is that way. Everyone's a street photographer. You know, everybody's got a YouTube channel. Everybody's doing street. Everybody's putting their pictures up. But in reality, 99% of these pictures are not that good. Yeah. <laughs> but we think that because they're in black and white and they're grainy or blah, 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 they are good. And at the same time, I can't tell you what makes one good. It just is. You just know it when you see it. When you see Tiananmen Square, when you see Falling Man from 9-11, when you see, uh, and of course these are very big, gigantic, iconic pictures, but there's other pictures too that can just be streets. Some guy shooting on the streets of Hong Kong, he may shoot a thousand pictures, but there may just be one or two that when you see it, you instantly are like, oh, what's, there's, there's stuff going on here and there's a feeling here or there's a mood. And I wonder if that's going to be taken away the way that modern art has kind of been co-opted by the pretentious. I think that is... Is, 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 this, th- is this too deep? Is this too deep for, for, <laughs> for you, Gary? Probably too deep for our show. But yeah. uh, I, again, I don't, worry about, I don't worry about the future and stuff changing and being taken away because it's mostly inevitable. And if you want it to have value, if you want it to be something, then you have to go and make that thing. And then you have to make it what you want it to be. And so right, there's... I've, I've, I've done a ton of street, Right. I have one image. You are so street. You're so street. Yes, but I, I have like one image that I've, that I've had enough people tell me that's a good image for me to believe that it really is a good photojournalistic street image out of all the stuff I've shot probably, right? But what I'm worried about is that what's going to happen is we're going to have, as this, as this trend becomes popular, people are going to start to think that everything is great. How many, how many frames do you think Robert Frank took to make The Americans? Uh, they said around 22,000. 22,000. film. Film. Film, yeah. Film. So, 22,000 film frames. Yeah. So that, when that book got published, she's like, please, God, let this sell enough copies to cover <laughs> wow, my film. Right? Yeah. 22,000, yeah. can you imagine? So my mm. point being, at that time, 22,000, the modern equivalent of that would probably be like 200,000, you know, because of right. digital, you're not having to. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, it, it, art is so subjective, and I think there will always be a pretentious element to it. And yet there will always be people who are doing it. For me, a lot of it comes from more from the intent of the maker than the image. Photojournalism has to have context, which is why I love the Americans. I love collections of photojournalism because it gives the work context. Like you could show, which is why photojournalism is called photo journalism because it usually right. accompanies some kind of editorial that gives the context to the photo. Like most of these images all by themselves, you'd go, oh, that's a nice image. But just sitting there as an image only has so much power without a story behind it. And so but I do love I, but I, I love I love photojournalism that doesn't require a story behind it. I, if you can put together a series of images, here's, uh, you know, San Bernardino, 1976, and you can put together 10 or 15 images. And when I see those images, I feel San Bernardino. Right. But that has context. You put them in a collection that has context. Yeah, right. But I mean, what I'm saying is without the written word. It doesn't, I love it when you can it, just it, show me the it photographs. It needs context. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I, I believe to me that that makes sense. But no, I, I mean, all, there are so much, so, there's so much pretension in the art world. If you don't believe me that there's pretension in photography, just go to any like school that has a photography department 
and just go talk to those kids for a while because they like read a book and know stuff now. So they'll they'd be, they'd right. be happy to talk to you about their pretentiousness, right. you know. And that's what I'm talking about is how you get a you you pick up a camera for the first time and you go out the first day and you take pictures and you're and, and now you're like, look at my pictures, look look at this one and look at this one. And anyone who's been doing it for years goes, yeah, those are all terrible. You have so far to go because you don't even recognize what's good. And I'm sure the same thing exists in the art world. Yeah, you know, and and. And I, I worry that that's going to go away because like in the Instagram world and so forth and in the phone, in the phone world, it's kind of, it kind of has gone away. I guess. It just depends. I'm not, again, I, you know, you're, you're shaking your walking stick a little bit, you know, just a touch, just rattle that walk. But, but I get what you're saying, but it, it's art is about what it means to you, not what it means to anybody else. That's true, but that doesn't mean that you can't have a general dumbing down of an art form. I mean, can you think of another art form that has been generally dumbed down? Like, for instance, can you, can, do, do you think that music today and that hit records today, that songwriting in particular is as great as it used to be? Do you know who Barry Gordy is? I just want to point, like... <laughs> yes, I do know who Barry <laughs> okay. Gordy is. I'm just saying, like, so music has always been, there's always been cheap, pretentious pop garbage right. music. And that since the beginning, since the first song was recorded on the first whatever they recorded songs on and somebody decided to monetize it went all the way back to you know build me up buttercup and 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 everything the jackson five ever made that was all made with the purpose of making money you know sure sure but when i listen to my kids music today here we go there he goes he's shaking his cane when i listen to my kids music today i do feel like i don't hear as many gems in terms of the written song as there were, there was plenty of, believe me, there was plenty of it fluff when, when I was a kid sure. as, as well. But there were also more gems in the fluff. Now, the, the, there's an exception to this, my friend, mm-hmm. and that exception is country music. Country music still has the best songwriting in music. I mean, come on, you name the babies, I'll name the dogs. That is a great song by, <laughs> by Blake Shelton, right? And, and a great hook and a great line. And so you still see, you still see it heavy duty because country really values that. And I think it's funny that the, the style of music that is traditionally looked down upon by so much of Americans as being the simple country people, poor people music actually has the greatest songwriting. Well, I, again, I think this is filtered through your own personal taste, which is you yes. really like story. And country music yes. has it has the has the greatest tradition of storytelling because that's sure. just what country music is. But if sure. you are looking in any genre of music, w- typically what rises to the top as far as popularity is usually like the simplest stuff. Right. And so if you're just listening to what your teenage daughters are happen to come across on whatever beats one radio or something, yeah, probably that's mostly just earworm garbage you know but if you really want to if you really want to find great music in every genre it is the best time in music to have ever existed because there's so much amazing stuff out there it's just hard to sift through because there's also more noise than there has ever been because there are new ways for music to reach you than there's ever been yeah yeah Yeah, that makes sense all right so that that was enough of a deep dive for this particular podcast yeah i just want to do a little bit of listener feedback because i know we're running out of time here I'm going to keep the name of this right, uh, this person anonymous because I think that that would be the right thing to do in this case. But somebody wrote in, and I think we should have a brief discussion about this. Gentlemen, I greatly enjoy Bure's YouTube channel and have listened to your podcast several times. Unfortunately, the negativity of the show will keep me from listening more. With due respect, your banter comes across as more of a bitch fest. Just one listener's thoughts for what it's worth. Keep up the excellent YouTube work. Cheers. You have any thoughts on that? Never liked that guy. Yeah. (laughs) 
I never liked that guy from day one. I never let me let me tell you about that guy. Yeah, I don't want to just be the show where we only bring positive feedback. We obviously have a lot of people who who enjoy what we do and, and come along with us. Do you think we're overly negative? What do you feel about that? I don't think that we're I don't think that we're overly negative, but also it's impossible to have any uh, valid conversation or good conversation that is all positive all the time and. Yeah, I mean, we certainly looked at it when when you got that feedback. I thought about it. I thought, hmm, do we do we come across like two guys that are just complaining all the time? And I hope that we don't. Uh, but at the same time, I'm sorry. All all comedy comes from drama. Uh, all comedy comes from tragedy. And I don't. I'm not saying that we're comedians, but I'm saying that any fun conversation that you have with anyone has got to have a few chuckles in it, a few interesting things. Negativity works. Negativity uh, feeds people. Talk. There's no talk radio shows that are all positive. Right. And and, and honestly, <laughs> right? I, I I have given some great thought to this, and and I appreciate this feedback. So thanks for writing that in. Although he won't hear it because he is never going to listen to the show again. But um. Absolutely, the the nature of trying to uh, turn something over and look at the negative side of it to point out the negativity. Like when you spend time on something, we spend time analyzing something because we genuinely love it and care about it, and we care about what we do right. and the things that go on in our lives. And I think that for me, being able to process things like it's almost it's almost a pressure valve. Comedy is a pressure valve for society, I think. And so, I, and I just watched uh, Dave Chappelle's new stand-up. I don't know if you know, uh, if you've watched it yet, Sticks and Stones. Oh, God, yes, I've watched it, and I've seen the, the blowback that he's it's, getting for it. First of all, it's so good. It's Yes, it's hilarious. It's, I'm, I'm sorry that if it offends you, but it's funny. But that's, my point is that, yes, there's comedy, tip, and, and by the way, if you think that's the worst if you think that's earth shattering, you're a little too tender because uh, let me, I could point you to some stand-ups that are way worse. Uh, but I believe that to be able to analyze something, to make fun of it, to turn it over, it's a social release valve. Like we and we're not negative in the sense that we're, you know, trying to talk crap about all this stuff. But when we look at something and we try to look at what's funny or backwards or upside down about it. To me, all comedy is, is, is lets the air out a little bit and releases tension, and I think that's what it's about. So if we start to overly police things like stand-up comedy or comedic outlets and say, you need more positivity in it, you should take out all this, I think that that sort of criticism, we definitely need to consider it. But I think it's also dangerous in the long run because we need an outlet for negative feelings where we get to talk about them and analyze them, even if it's just for a joke. And I think that that is extremely important in the long run for most people. Now, if you're looking for inspiration and positivity, in, in there are, go on iTunes, there are thousands and thousands of entrepreneurial, inspirational podcasts. I would recommend Creative Warriors by my friend Jeffrey Shaw. That's a fantastic one. And there's many, many, many others. But that's just not what we do, is it? Well, I was wondering what he was talking about. What negativity was he talking about? Because we're kind of talking about oh, general negativity. But I just wonder: is he like? Is it like when we when we look at a camera and then we go, "Who is this for? Who is this for? <laughs> Who is this camera for?" Is that you know like is that the kind of negative like when when we're negative on a piece of gear or we're negative on because that's critique. Then all critique is negative. Maybe because I said everyone who shops at Costco is an animal. <laughs> That, okay. Interestingly right? enough, that's, I am one of those animals. That's, hyper, just point that that's out. hyperbole. Yeah. That's hyperbole. Right. You know, you you have to be able. That's you know, that's what the whole clampdown on comedy is really the effect that it's having on comedy in the world now is that all hyperbole is being taken away. You're not allowed to generalize or stereotype 
you know, or blow anything out of proportion about anyone because of any reason without it being seen as insulting and you need to apologize. And that takes away an absurdist in the world, uh, absurdity in the world that we enjoy. So I, yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that. Although there are certainly times when I certainly understand it and I go, yeah, okay, I get now. Like, what was it? (laughs) Like the world is changing. And here's a perfect example. You texted me yesterday that you were watching Superman. It's 1978. 1978 Superman, and you pointed out a scene in that movie that I had forgotten about. Right. And you were like, wow, imagine if this came out today. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Please tell us. Okay. Yeah, there's a scene. If you want, first of all, I love this film. I think this is a great right. film. It's got a lot of heart. And considering that it came out in 1978, for what was coming out at the same time, if you look at 1978 was not the greatest year for American cinema. A couple of great American films came out that year that are that stand the test of time. Uh, uh, but most of that 78 was a real rough year for cinema. So Superman 78 was the third highest grossing film of the year. In this particular scene, uh, Lex Luthor so uh, bombastically portrayed by Gene Hackman and his... Uh, Henchman, uh, what's his fu- what's his face, and then Mrs. Tessenbacher, his female companion. Ned Beatty, yeah, Ned Beatty was his henchman, right. and Mrs. Tessenbacher was uh, Valerie Perrine. Right. So how do I know that? Because you just know things that other people I can't don't. T- I can't tell you the I can't tell you the names of any of my my kids' friends. <laughs> <laughs> but I can tell you that it was Ned Beatty and Gene Hagman. Because you Valerie got your Perrine. damn priorities in order, Boo Ray. That's yeah. why. Yeah. Um, so basically, they try. They're trying to hijack nuclear missiles. So. They stop by Miss Tessenbacher dresses in this bright red Marilyn Monroe kind of number, very low cut, kind of chest hanging out a little bit, lays on the road by a wrecked car. So this convoy taking a nuclear missile, by the way, that is not disguised at all. It's just a missile on the back of a truck. <laughs> like like if the government was moving a nuke, they wouldn't even like put it in a box. It's just out no, there. I'm pretty sure that's how they do it. It's yeah, just really covered in a sure blanket and not yeah, even completely yeah. covered in a blanket. It, and it's like, this is a nuclear <laughs> missile written on the side of it. So the, they stop the whole... I wonder, military... I wonder what that long, giant, long thing is with the military trucks. I don't know. There's a blanket on it. Could be anything. <laughs> Could be anything. Are you sure? Nah, it's definitely not a nuclear missile. They would <laughs> Definitely not a they missile. They would never move that out in open daylight with just nuclear misery on the side of it so the whole military convoy stops uh to see what's wrong this woman has obviously been in some kind of accident they come over and then the guy goes well uh what do you recommend uh what do you recommend uh uh colonel he's like a, a vigorous chest massage and possibly mouth to mouth and then the, the soldier <laughs> goes to gun and he goes nope son i wouldn't want any of my soldiers to do anything i wouldn't do myself to this woman who's prone and passed yes. out then he tells all of his guys to line up in a circle around her. Then they're all facing the center while he assaults her on the ground. And then he goes, yes. and then he goes, and then he goes, turn around. And they all turn around with their backs to him. So he's basically assaulting this woman. Yes. On the side. yes, turn around so you can't see me assault this woman who's passed out on the side of the road. Now we know she's not passed out, but still. It's, it's played off in the film. Like it comes off like this really lighthearted comedic moment. Like, yeah. oh, shucks. Oh, yuck, yuck, yuck. And it's like, no, he's literally ordering his men to protect him while he assaults a woman who's laying on the ground. Yeah. And was and who's was potentially and, and, dying and, and, by the way, a woman who might be dying. Yes. Yes. And am I wrong, but isn't that character played by Larry Hagman? I <laughs> Boo Ray. Is it JR? Is it friggin' JR? It is Colonel actually. Nelson? Yeah. But what part of you what part of you would think that I would know that? Oh, well, I mean JR, Larry Hagman. I mean, you recognize but him. But the point is that that scene in a movie today 
would be would cause outrage. Oh my God! Oh my God! Would it be called out? And it, and and rightfully and so. rightfully so. That's a sexual assault. That's like hey hey hurty her, you know. But that's uh, 1978. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna feel up this girl on the side of the road who's passed who's passed out. Terrible. And they played it for laughs and like you know that. Oh, it and, might, and, he and, might and, as well have slipped on a banana peel. That was the tone of the scene, and the music was all whatever. While he's molesting a woman on the side of the road, this is it's a yes. Like it, it was seriously, it was so glaringly obvious watching it just the other night that I just, I just sat back. I was right. like, when was this okay to do? To yes, to, because now that's going to get you kicked out of college. Yeah. <laughs> That will deny yeah. you a seat on the Supreme Court. <laughs> That's right. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Probably not. You'll probably still get to be on the Supreme Court. There'll, cer- there'll certainly be some some questions. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah, that's correct. I had totally forgot about that until you t- texted to me. I was like, oh my God, yes. There is basically a, a date rape scene in Superman. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, still, <laughs> oh, besides, the, uh, besides the rapey uh, scene there, it's, it's mostly a, a very charming film, and I, and I enjoy yes, it. Yeah. Yes, except for, the, except for the rapey part. Except for the rapey very bit. Good. In the, in the that, matter of fact, that's how, that's how they should. That's how, that should be the headline, you know, on the critique of the film. Except for the rapey part, <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> honey, honey, did you see the New York Times reviewed us? Yeah. Yes. What's it say? It says except for the rapey part, it's pretty good. Oh, that's nice, dear. That's nice. Send that to your mother. Send that to your mother. <laughs> Clip it out. All right. Are we done? Yeah, yeah. We got a few things, uh, you know, uh, to to promote here coming up. We are very, very close to uh, Focus 2019. That is the uh, convention of the Florida Professional Photographers in Orlando, Florida. Go to areyouinfocus.com. You can hang out with me and Bure. And now check this out with even more Bure. We're not just doing the Photobond Live podcast. Bure is part of a photography business panel in one of the regular scheduled programs, and you will get to ask him all of the business-related questions that you want. Now, here's the thing. I just went on the website to look at this, and here's the thing that really chaps my bottom, sir, is that you yes. are the wedding panelist and also the headshot panelist. I am? Oh, that's right. It says weddings and headshots. Yeah. 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 Like, I'm not going to be there? Like, is yeah. there somebody <laughs> there who's got that more than I do? Huh? I thought I thought I thought you weren't going to be there though. Don't you have a gig? You just texted me and told me you had a gig that day. I, well, I booked it well after this was scheduled. Well, you know, they, I I think I think it's more in line with they didn't ask you because they were a little afraid of you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they gave me a big award last year, and so and you and, and like you asked me, you were like, oh, you're going and doing the thing, and I'm like, yeah, and you're like, I'm surprised because normally you would say no to that, and I'm like, yeah, well, they gave me an award last year, so now they got it's me. like last like last the, week the guy that tipped you twenty five bucks, yeah, and now like you the had twenty dollars tip, you give me an award, and now yeah, now I have to say yes to everything you asked me to do, or else I just look like a tool. Yeah, well, you know, here's the thing though, you're gonna look like a tool anyway. Anyway, yeah. so go to areyouinfocus.com. Get on the get on a plane, get on a get on the mega bus, get on a bicycle. Come join us at the Florida Hotel and Conference Center in beautiful Orlando, Florida for Focus 2019. Also, I was just again uh, reminiscing over how much I enjoy the fact that you and I are both going to both be speakers at Imaging USA this year, and we're yes. both going to be speakers at WPPI this year. I feel we're going to be spending too much time together. I don't think. I think that uh, we don't spend enough time together. Although we talk yeah. every day, pretty much. Uh, and well, you know, I no, I take that back because we don't spend any time together at Imaging USA. No, we really don't. No, no, no we don't. We're too busy. We're working. So, so, that, so I was just thinking, man, we're going to see each other for four days at Imaging USA, and then a month later for like four days at W. No, Imaging USA, we see each. We pass each. We, yeah, 
Yeah, we pass out. We like pass in the hallway and go, "Hey, there's Gary." Yeah, and that's about it. Yeah. So yeah, so WPPI is going to be, I think, going to be the real fun one. Yes, for us. yes, it is. So uh, check that out, ImagingUSA.org. That is coming up. They have a buddy pass too now, um, which is pretty cool. So you can get a deal if you book stuff together. Also, you can sign up right now if you go to uh, Imaging USA. They are going to be giving away um, not just your registration, but flight and hotel to some lucky folks. So you can go and register for that contest. And I'll put a link to that in the show description. Um, so that'll be pretty cool. So if you're planning to go already, go ahead and enter the contest because you might, who knows, you might win an airfare and a hotel to Nashville as well. And interestingly enough too, WPPI this year has brought back the Buddy Pass. So you'll be able to basically go if you book uh, two tickets together, decide to go with a friend, you get a pretty great discount on that. And I'll put links to all of that stuff in the episode description. All right. You can find us online at facebook.com slash photobombpodcast. You can find us at photobombpodcast.com. HughesFiorelli.com mm-hmm. is where Gary lives, and I am at BourreyPerry.com. Our email is questions at photobombpodcast.com, and we'll see you back here next week. See you later. Mm-hmm.